0: Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers
1: Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Suffer from (laughs) giant head syndrome. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I think I look better when I drink a lot of water. With Margaret Apples and Amy Wilson. This is a horn of plenty. A
0: podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I know how many kids I have and I keep track of them. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? laughing in the face of motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. How you doing, Margaret? I have my announcer voice on for some reason this morning. I'm like, what for child? <laughs> laughing in the face of motherhood? I'm doing medium. Amy, I'm a solid medium. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm feeling uh, ready for spring. I'm really, you know, I'm excited. Well, that's
1: irritating. Things are looking up for me. What do you have to be so jolly for? My God. I'm excited about this topic because this is one of those, it was a happy accident topic. It was maybe two weeks ago. I'm going to quote Margaret. She said, my mom definitely helped me have the perspective that it's a useless (laughs) metric for life. This was about Jordache jeans. Sorry that you were the only one not with the cool jeans in middle school. Correct. Your mom helped you have the perspective that that was a useless metric for life and that you might spend a year being unhappy, but that your classmates were shallow monsters. (laughs) And I said that I wanted to do a whole episode on these useless metrics for life because I think there's a lot of them.
0: I feel like I do have to do a quick revisit because last week I was speaking about my parents in the context of like, you can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant and they're good and bad at stuff. My dad, I want to say, listen to an episode of the podcast, like I want to say three years ago, where I said that perhaps he was not as involved with the kids as my mom and he has yet to forgive me and brings it up like At least once a month. I mean, in a kind of a joking way, but he's like, (laughs) are you still making that meme podcast about me? Like, that's basically his impression of the podcast. Should he let it go or no? He's not going to. (laughs) He should make like Elsa and let it go. But last week, I was discussing my parents in this topic of like that they're a little bit more... They're practical people, you know? They're like, oh, we'll skip the kindergarten play. We're not interested in that. And that my mom... Sometimes I would not go for her perspective when I was looking for like, you are beautiful and great. Because my mom was... Her great gift was to be very frank. I want to say I meant this as a positive thing. And if it did not come off that way, like I meant it as a true positive. And this is the greatest example. Like my mom, we don't curse on this podcast, but she was no bull, you know? Yeah. She was like, I'm not here to sugarcoat it. And she helped me have an amazing perspective of my life. And I'm extremely grateful for it. But she was she didn't pull her punches. Yeah.
1: I think most of us can picture your mom Because she's in you. Like, yes, this isn't that important. Like, don't worry about that because that doesn't matter. I think that's a lovely perspective to have. And I didn't. Yeah, I definitely thought more of your mom for her imparting that to her young kid. Like, this isn't important. You just think it is.
0: It's difficult to talk about anything on the podcast because there's 80 sides to everything. So sometimes I'm like, and that's why you just have to let it go. And it's like, but maybe that person is toxic and damaging. Okay, but if that's true, like, it's hard to put a fine point on anything. But sometimes when I talk about people on the podcast, I have to be careful to say, people contain multitudes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm just speaking about one small part of them. And I love everyone and I don't want them to be mad at me about the podcast. Thank you very much. That was for my dad.
1: When it comes to useless metrics for life, I want to say that the things we're going to talk about today, like some of these are metrics I live by and will continue. They might be useless and I like them and I'm going to continue to live by them. We're not saying they're bad metrics for life or that you're a bad person for caring about these things. It's just there are things that you could maybe put down.
0: I want to put a fine point on this just for people who are like useless metrics. That phrase is, not resonating with me. One thing that we talk about all the time is like a useless metric for your life is how much you weigh. That is the least interesting thing about you. Right. I don't care about it. I am a person who technically weighs more than most people think is correct. And I don't care. And we did a show a long time ago called Let's Not Care What We Weigh. And I'm not interested in how much I weigh. I'm very much not interested in how much you weigh. That is a useless metric to me for life. And it is something that I think a lot of women have been told is a central part of how valuable they are. But it is a useless metric. That's an example of a useless metric. <laughs> right, right. That's a useless metric for life. All right,
1: We'll start with an easy one. The giant baby head circumference is often
0: a useless metric. Did you have any kids with giant heads? Have we not discussed this, Amy? I come from a family of giant-headed people. (laughs) I myself have a freakishly giant head. Like I cannot wear my husband's hats. That's how big my head is. (laughs) We are huge headed people. It's like a characteristic in my family. One of my children's heads was bigger than my husband's
1: when he was like three. Yeah. Like it was evident early on this child cannot wear youth hats at the t. Like they hand out the T-ball youth hats. Let's get
0: another coach hat for this kid because the T-ball hat won't fit. That's me. Yeah. I can't wear hats. And I have to really think a tremendous amount about my hairstyle because a lot of things go really wrong on me because my... Amy just spit out her coffee laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we don't do video because I don't want y'all to see our faces, but... Wait a minute. I thought this was a useless metric for life. Apparently,
1: it's something you have to give a lot of thought to if you have a giant head.
0: No, I just... It's still a useless metric, but my mom... So my sister and I had our first babies 6 weeks apart. I was first. And my mom when I brought my oldest son home was just staring at his head and she was like I don't know if I should talk to it your other sister about this. Like, she was genuinely concerned. Like, I cannot believe how big this baby's head is. And should I somehow warn your sister that there's trouble <laughs> afoot with the giant head genes? And I was like, I don't think that's useless. No, it's a useless metric. Like, what's she going to do? The baby's coming out anyway. Well, I, so I did a little research on this. There's a writer for Slate named Ruth Graham. And
1: this is actually from, I got to give a double shout out to Michelle Wu wrote about this for Life Hacker, an article, your baby's head is probably not gigantic. And her friend, Ruth Graham, was a writer for Slate, noticed that like her Facebook feed was full of moms saying like, my baby's head is 95th percentile, like 90th percentile, giant head here. And she was like all of my friends have babies with supposedly giant heads. How is this a thing? So she looked into it, found out that the World Health Organization has this baby head circumference chart, but it's a worldwide chart. And like people in different parts of the world have, you know, bigger or smaller heads. So like 15 to 20% of babies born in the United States have heads that are supposedly 95th percentile for hugeness, but that can't be. I think my kids were like 115, but go ahead. So if you're listening to this and you're like, my baby has a giant head, like, first of all, you're not that special. Second of all, it's probably not something you need to worry about other than the hat sizes.
0: I'm going to say I came in hot on this because I'm fascinated by head size because I suffer from (laughs) giant head syndrome. But this is something I've never heard people discuss. The only thing I see is like that. It's like a wooden board, like a midwifery thing where you see all the like how dilated you need to be and the head coming through. And yes, somebody put that on our group for Mother's Day on the Facebook group. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. But I did not know that people were worried about the size of their baby's heads. I will also say that all of those kind of metrics. Listen, I'm not a doctor. So take your advice from your pediatrician, not from a bozo with a parenting podcast, but a giant head with a giant headed bozo. But that is something that I've heard a lot of people talk about is like these metrics of, you know, I've had friends who were exclusively breastfeeding and the doctor's like, well, they're not up to the percentile of weight. And my friend was Scandinavian and she's like, you Americans are freaks with this. You know, Mm. you've got to be in the 95th percentile for weight. Like I have a Scandinavian baby who's a normal size and like stop telling me that this weird worldwide metric is supposed to apply to my kid. So, I mean, I think that can be a useless metric. And I will also just put in your path that if you're spending a tremendous amount of time thinking about baby head size, it might be time to take up a hobby. (laughs) Knitting giant hats. Knitting giant hats for me, please. Make them extra large. When you think it's large enough, keep knitting. Here's another useless metric
1: that I do kind of live by 10,000 steps a day that you should do 10,000 steps a day. To, like, be a good person.
0: These kind of things drive me crazy. Like, there's another one that is 10,000 hours of practice. Are you familiar with this concept? Oh, yeah. That's a Malcolm Gladwell thing that you need to... Malcolm Gladwell. If you want to get good at the
1: guitar or soccer or knitting giant baby hats, you need to do it for about 10,000 hours.
0: I constantly find myself in meetings. Amy has been in these meetings with me. That's like, are you a red orchid person or a blue cool water person? And I'm (laughs) like, this is completely made up, just so we understand. This is not an actual metric of anything. And I, this is my pet peeve, Amy. It's my pet peeve. You have your Star Wars lightsaber out. You're like, just like, you're just tilting at all these windmills. I'm cutting it down. I think that sometimes these things make sense to us. And it's like, are you a gatherer, a burner, you know, egret or a giant slalom? And I'm just like, if this helps you to make decisions in a specific way, okay. But let's not act like this is formative text. This is something that a person completely made up. And sometimes I find especially I'm going to say women, especially in spaces that are dedicated to like personal empowerment, they get a little too into these ideas of like, well, see, I'm a blue fawn and that's why I can't ever blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not a thing. You made it up. (laughs) That's why I can't change the toner and the printer because I'm a blue fawn and we're not really good with hands on. I'm not
1: a fan. I was just at dinner with a bunch of moms the other night, celebrating the like beginning of you know our kids getting to like go places and see people again. We the kids had an event and we went out to dinner afterwards. Sat outside and I was sitting with a bunch of moms who I find totally lovely, don't know that well, enjoy their company. And one of them said, "I just feel like this group of us were eagle moms." And somebody else was like, "What's an eagle mom?" She's like, "Well, you know how there's like tiger moms and there's you know I forget what other example she was like. We're eagle moms." And we were all like, "Right. So what is that?" <laughs> So, like, sounds good. What is that? And she's like, you know, just like eagles, like eagles' nests. And we were like, oh, right, right. Like, we're eagle moms. So there are some people who just like that sort of categorization. Did you ever get to the bottom of what an eagle mom is? She sent a group text the next day with an eagle, like, emoji. Like, wow, hi, eagle mom. So she's sticking with it. I think it's very
0: positive. I'm not totally sure what it means. We have giant baby eggs. My son, recently, they had to name their... um Boy Scout troop, and they took a vote. It was a tough early exercise in democracy, and the name that won was the Rats. And he's like, I don't even want to be part of a group called the Rats. And I was like, here's the thing. It's not a thing. You're never going to use it again. I was born in the year of the rat, and that's why I've always cast a gimlet eye on the
1: Chinese zodiac thing. It's like, I don't want to identify with that. No, thank you. No. Can we go back to 10,000 steps, though? Because this is very interesting. Sure. All right. It's interesting to me, because I'm a dork. So in 1964, the Olympics were held in Tokyo, and the Japanese government decided it was important to get the Japanese people healthy before the world came to Tokyo. Like, we are a, a healthy people. So this clock came out in 1965 that was like sort of pushed by the government like everybody should buy this it was a you know it was an early pedometer and it was called Mampoke I don't speak Japanese I'm sorry Mampoke which means 10,000 steps meter that's what it means and that's where the 10,000 steps idea came like the guy who named the pedometer thought Mampoke
0: was a was a cool name for it. Amy, I don't know if you're an ego mom, but you are a research dork. I can't believe you found this. This is exciting. Yes. And so there was recent research at Harvard
1: Medical School, which looked into this because like it would seem that, yeah, like 10,000 steps is better than none. But is it really 10,000? So Harvard Medical School researched it and said up to like 7,500 steps a day, like 7,500 is better than 5,000. 5,000 is better than 2,500. Once you get past about 7,500, it's not accumulative at all. So... You can stop at 9,500. See, I wear a Fitbit. Like, I will... Actually, I I lost my charger. I don't have my Fitbit on right now. But Amy, of course you do. Because it makes you want to... Like here's where these metrics can be useful. If it makes you want to get outside and be more active because you want to get that little when you hit 10,000 steps on the Fitbit, it gives you like a little silent, like dzz, 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 dzz. it just taps in your
0: wrist. Have you ever felt the joy of that tap? There is no joy in that for me. I don't need oh, a machine to tell me I'm God. doing a good job, but this is the two kinds of people in the world. It's two kinds of people. You and my husband and we have a friend, couple friend, and we have friends and it's like one member of the couple is obsessed. And she and my husband can talk for hours about closing their rings on the iPhone. It's like all they care about on earth. (laughs) And then me and the wife were just like, this is not interesting to me. Like, why do I want a machine bossing me around? I don't want anyone telling me what to do. And I certainly don't want to voluntarily wear a device that tells me what to do.
1: You know, if you want to be more fit, I have a quote here from uh, James Clear, who says measure to see if you're actually spending time on the things that are important to you. James Clear wrote a book called Atomic Habits, which is really interesting. So he says you do measure stuff. If it's important to you to be more healthy and move more, then get a Fitbit. If you don't want to be bossed around because you don't really want to move more, then do not count. 10,000 steps. is not a useful metric.
0: No, wait, I have to push back. I can want to move more and not want to strap a device to my wrist. That bothers me. Yeah, absolutely. I guess. Yeah, I'm saying like it
1: can be motivational to some people. Like, do you count how many books you read in a year? Do you do anything like that? No. Yeah, he would say like tracking things. If you track how much you read, it'll make you read more. If you track how much you walk, it'll make you walk more.
0: I'm good. Thanks. I do some reading and I do some walking. I'm all set. Yeah. Thanks a lot. (laughs) I flip back and forth. Okay. We'll be right back
1: with more Useless Metrics. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my
0: 13th nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status.
1: You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking...
0: I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to
1: 100% leak-proof. Crucial once your baby is quite literally up an atom. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into.
0: You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusting
1: when you've got kids, as just about everybody listening to this right now does, you're probably looking at what they eat and seriously wondering how they could possibly be getting all of the vitamins and minerals they need to grow big and strong.
0: That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin for kids. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need. And yes, Even your picky eaters will approve. I know mine does.
1: Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables. Then it's supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals to help support our kids' growing brains and bodies.
0: And Haya vitamins are sent straight to your door, which means you set it and forget it and give yourself one less thing to worry about.
1: We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com
0: slash fresh. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H HayaHealth.com slash fresh to get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. All right, we're back. Amy, do we need to be drinking eight glasses of water a day? No scientific study has ever
1: concluded that eight glasses of water a day is a thing. This was made up in 1945, the National Research Council's Food and Nutrition Board. That had to be just like six guys smoking cigars in a room, right? This is like a bunch of madmen guys. They
0: were definitely not doing anything healthy <laughs> right. in 1945 on the Food and Nutrition Board. They were like, mayonnaise is it. Just mainline mayonnaise. That's what you want to be doing. Right. More margarine. Margarine instead of butter, everybody. With a nice cup of coffee.
1: And the powdered milk that my grandmother used to drink. So this is how they came up with it. If they figured every calorie of food that you intake, you should have a milliliter of water. Again, who made that metric up? I don't know. they're like, all right. So if we're going from that, if the average person should eat 2000 calories a day, then that's 2000 milliliters of water or eight cups. And so that's where this eight glasses of water a day came
0: from. Also, let me tell you, eight cups of water is like three glasses of water. Think about a cup, you know, like a glass of water is two cups, isn't it? I mean, I think a cup is a useless metric because it's so much smaller than I think it should be. Oh, yeah. Whenever I try to track my food, I'm like a cup of pasta. I think I had eight cups. Like, yeah. Right. Or a cup of cereal is a depressingly tiny amount of cereal. I
1: mean, it's like a bite of cereal. You're right. There has been a slide here that eight cups of water a day became eight
0: glasses of water a day, which is like 16 cups of water a day. Right. And like the water industrial complex is like working full time. Like we're all walking around with like a six liter bottle, a hydro flask. And I think we're drinking a lot of water. That's what I know. I do
1: drink a lot of water. I'm thirsty all the time. Like I've now accustomed myself. Like I can't go to the mailbox without uh, water in case I get thirsty.
0: I drink too much soda. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't think I drank any water today. I think I had three Diet Cokes and that was all my liquid intake. And that does seem sort of gross. But I tell you what, all three of my kids do not drink soda
1: ever, ever. And I didn't put this in them. So they must be hearing this at school. This must be indoctrinated at school that like sugary beverages are... Not a good use of, of sugar, right? Like my kids are like, we'd rather eat sugar than drink sugar. and like, good for you. So they have water. But then I feel bad when I go to a restaurant and I'm like, I kind of want a Coke or a Diet Coke or something. And then they try to give it to one of my kids and it's for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm Yeah. Again, I can't get interested in that. Like, I like Diet Coke. They don't sponsor us. I just, I drink it a lot. Too much of it. I get that it's not good for me, but I also find that people who are like, you drink that poison. I'm like, you know what? Relax. Okay. Relax. Everybody calm down. I do think that I feel better. I think I look better when
1: I drink a lot of water. Did You You must have seen that meme where it's like somebody like drank like three gallons of water and like, look at her
0: now. She looked like 40 years younger. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, no. That's a terrible, that's terrible. I haven't seen it, but that sounds horrible. But
1: if you spend any time on you're a bad person because you didn't drink enough water today, that's a useless metric for that Oh, I would say so. I'm
0: not interested. Is that a ring on the Apple phone? How much water you had? I don't know. I try when my husband starts talking to me about his Apple watch. I just go to a special place (laughs) in my head where I can't hear things. Yeah. You talk about a meme. (laughs) You know that Billy Porter hat that like had fringe on it and it opened and closed. I like my fringe on my hat just closes when he starts talking about it. I'm going to put that in the show notes in case you don't know what Margaret's talking about. Oh, Amy, let's talk about the useless, useless metric that is perfect attendance. Yes, this is a whole deep thing. If you want to do a deep dive into perfect attendance as a useless and probably classist and racist metric, Mm -hmm. go knock yourself out. There's a lot of interesting writing about it.
1: I never really thought about this until I saw recently on Instagram a mom saying, like, don't give out perfect attendance awards. It makes my kid with, you know, chronic illness feel bad. That's not fair. And, like, I have a kid who has missed a lot of school for chronic illness. And I never, like, thought there shouldn't be a perfect attendance award. Like, that, it's not, like, about making her feel bad. But it did make me consider, you know, why do we highlight this? Because we want kids in school. The more kids are in school, the more kids learn. That's got to be a good thing, right? But that perfect attendance is important? Maybe not.
0: This is super complicated, and I don't think we can describe it in 30 seconds. But one of the things that exists in the world that is worth thinking a lot about, but probably not during a comic episode about useless (laughs) metrics, is how certain systems of rewards reward behavior that is only available to wealthy people and tends to favor white people. And I think perfect attendance is a useless metric. Perfect attendance, it seems to me, encourages people to
1: send kids to school a little sick. I mean, I definitely have done that. This is pre-pandemic, of course. Like, oh, your throat's sore, but you're not like, you don't have a fever, go to school, right? And because the more attendance your kid has, the better. Do you think that'll change after the pandemic? Where if it was like, if your kid has a sore throat, everybody in the whole class has to be fumigated and stay home for two weeks?
0: Yeah. I mean, I just think this stuff goes way into like ableism and, you know, family situations that are more complicated than others. And that perfect attendance is really a metric that seems harmless, but is in fact rewarding something that is not about what it thinks it's rewarding. And it's complicated and maybe we'll find an article and and link to it because I understand why people think that perfect attendance is harmless, but I think it's probably not. You know, schools actually, there are states, New York is one of them, California, Texas, they actually
1: allocate funds to school districts based on the attendance of the kids in that district. Yeah, they shouldn't do that. Right. So there's a reason that the schools are underlining perfect attendance because they needed to get money. So it isn't really about your kid being, you know, the
0: better kid. I don't know for sure. And we could do, there's so much in here. I have a kid who does not perform well at all on standardized tests. I could do a lot on standardized tests being a yeah. useless metric. This kid is good at a lot of things, not at test taking. Standardized tests, setting budget for school, super problematic. Like yes. there's a whole thing about metrics and how the metrics are set generally by a very specific type of person and do not judge the vast, wide, Range of people who live in the United States well, and possibly something to do a fresh take about maybe at some point and talk a little bit about. Like, yeah, and it doesn't mean you're bad if you're proud of your kid having perfect attendance, it just means like this is a metric. This is judging sometimes a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle, which is not a good thing to be doing writ large or their like hardy immune system, right? Like, or their just lucky break. And yeah, I don't know why we get extra credit for that. I think it's a useless metric. As you can tell, we haven't hit anything that I thought was a useful metric yet. So. <laughs> I'm sticking with a couple of these. My son
1: is about to graduate from high school and he is not going to get the perfect attendance award because he missed one day of school freshman year. And it was the like class picnic. It was a, like, let's all get on a bus and go to the state park and run around. And he missed that day. And so he's not going to get a perfect attendance award because of that day. And he was feeling a little bit, you know, like high dudgeon about that. And there was 15 seconds where I'm like, I'm going to call like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, no, wait, it's ridiculous to care about. Like he did have perfect attendance because he missed one.
0: Well, also, let's make a distinction. Caring about things that are personal to you is different than caring about a useless metric, right? Like caring about a kid who's like your, if perfect attendance is a thing and your kid has put in all this time and then this unfair thing, that's a personal thing. We're talking about useless metrics writ large. Like should perfect attendance apply? Probably not. But is your kid getting unfairly dinged for a stupid technicality? That's fine to be upset about. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) They're not the same thing. Amy, let's talk about Inbox Zero. Okay. Inbox Zero. This is actually... Well, let's just say what Inbox Zero is, just in case we're confusing people.
1: Well, there's what Inbox Zero is and what the person who invented it thinks it is. So what I thought Inbox Zero was, was to have like no emails in your inbox. What is it? That's what I thought it meant too. So it was actually a guy named Merlin Mann in the 90s. Oh, Merlin. He writes about finding the time and attention to do your best creative work, which I got to track him down because I love that. Like I could only read about like productivity and making more time to do stuff instead of doing stuff. I live for that stuff.
0: Oh, that is your special place. Like you and a productivity book. It's a marriage made in heaven. <sighs> I just
1: curl up. So he, this made me feel better because I have inbox 10,000 and I, I actually got it back to zero at one point during the pandemic. It's so weird because I'm an inbox zero person. Like that's a backwards one for us. Yeah, because you're, because then you're letting your inbox be your master instead of doing like what's important. If you're always like checking your inbox to see what two things have come in since the last time you checked, instead of like, these are the 10 things I'm going to do today. And then you do them and then you check your inbox. So that's actually what he was arguing. He thinks that you should keep your email closed most of the time and turn off your notifications. This goes back to another thing. I remember one time you asking me in another episode, like, are you looking when you see that number going up on your mail? And I didn't know what you meant. And I realized it's because I have my notifications turned off. So I don't see when I look at my phone or my computer, how many emails are waiting for me because I have that turned off. And I just look at it when I look
0: at it. Do you look at every email that comes in, though? You must. Yeah. And I have a bad habit of like, uh, I have
1: to deal with that later. Uh, That's why I don't have inbox zero. Like, oh, here's the permission slip for that thing. Okay, I'm going to have to look at that when I get home. And then it sits there. And then then a week later, it's still in my inbox. But how many emails are in your inbox? Oh, my gosh. Let me me look. Guys, this is very important.
0: I have 988 right now, which is very, very high for me. That means because I have a train trip later this week and I know I'll go through this and get rid of them. But they're all like, because my problem is I don't delete stuff when it comes in. I can see that 11 have come in since we started recording this episode. I'm not looking at them, you guys. But yeah, I probably have 100 in there. I could have better systems around this, but... My problem is that I need to delete as soon as I look at them. Like you send me links to record episodes and it's like link and it's just I only use it once, but then I don't delete it. So then when I'm on the train, I do search Amy, what search link. I delete those all. Search Amazon. I delete them all. You know, <laughs> search Amy, delete all. <laughs> the other thing that I've gotten so firm about is like marking junk mail so that the only things in my inbox are real. You know, I don't have the like, did you want 10% off this face cream? It's like I did not and get out of my inbox. So do you go through and unsubscribe to those? Yes. I will say Apple's gotten better because now in the top right corner, when you get one of those in it, it says unsubscribe right there. So it, you don't have to scroll through and find like the hidden little hyperlink that lets you actually unsubscribe. I'm going to argue that inbox zero in the way that we usually
1: mean it, which is like you shouldn't have any emails in your inbox. Like when you go home, with, when you close your laptop, when you leave your office, whatever, you know, when you <laughs> close your phone, because you're going to put the kids in the bathtub, whatever it is you're doing, you should have zero in there. And that's when you can exhale for a day well done. I am not in that camp at all, because I think if I was busy responding to the, you know, the PTA request from three weeks from now, then I haven't been maximally productive.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've yet to find a useful metric (laughs) to me that is useless to me. Again, we like, we're back to one right? We're like, okay, the minivan's really messy for a week. And then on Saturday, you clean it out. Yeah. The inbox is crazy. And then I have a four-hour train trip and I will sit there and... But do you do it? Like, I've only had done this once in the last 10 years and it was during the pandemic.
1: It was like, there's like, everything's closed, nothing to do. I got to zero and like 12 hours later, I had 10 emails again. I'm like, I see. Okay.
0: No, I like to go, whenever I have a airline trip or a train trip, one of the things I do is I put on some groovy music. I get a playlist going. Yeah. And I go through and I just... It usually takes me an hour. I mean, it's not a huge job, but I just go through. I have some folders mm. where I'm like, oh, I'll move that to correspondence. That's a nice note. Or I'll move that to like what fresh hell. I'll look at that email again someday. That's how I'm going to be on all of these things. Your weight. Listen, I know when I can't fit in anything in my closet, it's time to like chill out. I'm not interested in my weight. And then, you know, it gets to a point that I'm like, oh, it's time to go back to one a little bit. I know what that looks like. Okay. I do have a useless metric for life that I just,
1: my friend just put this on Facebook yesterday. She's like, if your leggings from last year still fit you, that is not a useful way to tell whether you're the same size as you used to be because your leggings have gently expanded to accommodate. Whose leggings don't fit them? I mean, is that even a thing? Well, your leggings do fit you, but when you go back to the pants with buttons, you may find that your leggings fit was not as useful a metric as you thought it was.
0: Yeah, that's why we're wearing them, Amy. That's why we're wearing them. Tell your friend they're slower roll. Okay. (laughs) We'll be right back.
2: Hey there. I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced. So, differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them
3: Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly.
2: Because sometimes life sucks.
1: And now, some metrics you can actually use from the What Fresh Help
0: podcast.
1: You put 16 things you absolutely did not need in your cart at Target, but then you came to your senses and took out six of them.
0: I'm going to give you a hearty thumbs up, Mama. Your kid watched two times the recommended screens almost every day during the pandemic. But important flip side, you kept them exactly the recommended amount alive. Solid W in your column in my book that pint of ice cream, you ate it right
1: out of the container while standing in front of the open fridge. It's not like you put it in a
0: bowl and actually enjoyed it. So let's not count it. You watched nine episodes of The Circle on Netflix when you should have been getting some much-needed rest. On the one hand, a mistake. On the other hand, some hard-earned me time. Let's put this up as a tie and just move on. You were 15 minutes late
1: to pick up Unlike your own mom who forgot to come at all, twice. That's
0: a little thing we call improvement. High five. Good news. That person giving you unsolicited parenting advice, they have no children and have never spent any time around actual children. You are allowed and encouraged to completely ignore them. This has been Some Metrics You Can Actually Use. From the What Fresh Hell Podcast.
1: So, our friend Wendy Ahrens just tweeted this last week on Twitter. It's blown up. I'll put the link in the show notes. She's gotten like 65,000 likes for this statement. A woman could have four broken limbs and massive internal injuries due to an epic battle with fire-breathing dragons. And the first question the doctor's office will ask is, what is the date of your last menstrual period?
0: (laughs) A useless metric for life. Yeah. I mean... Yes, I get it. They want to make sure you're not pregnant before they start doing things to you. But it is like I am now at an age where I'm like, I'm just like, can we just say not pregnant? Because first of all, at my age, that's a hard date to come up with. Like it's a little bit of all over the place. And I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, can we just say, are you? Is there any chance you could be pregnant and skip it otherwise? Yeah, I feel like at the OBGYN, of course they should talk about this. If like you're at the
1: urgent care cuz you have something stuck in your eye, like it's not <laughs> we could skip it. We could skip it.
0: Yes. But they want to isn't the reason they ask you cuz they want to make sure you're not pregnant before they get like little piece of toothpick out of your eye. Yeah, it is. I guess so. But they're just trying to make Yeah, like you could take the toothpick out of your eye. That's right. Completely fine. You know, that's Wendy has
1: hilarious, like, many, many, many hilarious responses on here about, like, people going in for, like, a broken ankle, again, to the doctor's office, and they're asked how often they exercise. And they're like, well, I'm not exercising at all right now. And then they're getting, like, a lecture from this, you know, resident and how they really should exercise more. Like, well, I would... Except for this broken ankle, which is why I've come. They've got to get through this list and do metrics and make sure they're talking to you about your BMI and how much you exercise and the date of your last menstrual period, even if you're there for like the stomach flu.
0: Here's another deep dive you can do. BMI is a completely useless metric complete, I mean, it's been proven again and again to be a useless metric. Body mass
1: index. Is that what it stands for? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because that really came up over the last couple of months, as you probably saw, be, allowed you to sort of get the COVID vaccine sooner if your BMI was a certain amount. And so I had a lot of people talked about it on the internet and I even had friends who were like, well, my BMI is high enough for me to get the COVID vaccine. I have extremely mixed feelings about this
0: because I'm going to get it. Right. <laughs> the ability to quantify the relationship between weight and health is mysterious, and don't worry about BMI. Here's
1: the problem with the last menstrual period thing. This is not me. This is Kate, somebody who responded to Wendy Aaron's saying what's totally hilarious or not is that they don't really know what to do with that information. There hasn't really been enough research done on the hormonal implications of what it would mean for your last menstrual period to affect like the toothpick in your eye. So the fact that they ask the question is completely performative because you know they're not going to do anything with that information that is asking you dumb questions.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. I mean, but that's going to the doctor. I mean, that's the whole thing of going to the doctor where it's like, what's your birth date? It's like, it's the same as I told the last <laughs> right. six people and it's on the thing in front of you and it's, it's right there. <laughs> right. I get it. They're trying to make sure you're the right person. You know, what does happen sometimes is like you walk in the wrong room and you're taking someone's toothpick out and they're like, but I'm pregnant. It's like, okay, right. Cause I'm in the wrong room. Like, <laughs> but yes, it's definitely, uh, it's a useless metric.
1: This is kind of controversial. I love a good controversy, Amy. I'm almost, it's one of these things like I'm afraid to ask. It's kind of a two kinds of people thing, but it is a a metric that people use to measure other people. The shopping cart return question. Are you the kind of person who returns the shopping cart to the shopping cart return area in the giant parking lot at Target or whatever? Or are you a horrible, horrible person? Is usually POV of the person asking. I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm going to lay it down here. Wow. You're not a returner. I'm a semi-returner. Mm. You know what I mean? I might not walk Amen. all the way. If
0: there's already three, if somebody has established a satellite junkyard. Oh, that's different. So you are you don't leave it like where it's going to run into someone's car. You will put it on the satellite island. I will push it over by the three other ones that have sort
1: of been gathered into a pile. Mm. But not walk it 50 feet
0: to the place. I'm just going to leave it where it is. You won't just be like, mic drop, I'm all set, and just let it go rolling around the parking lot willy nilly. No, 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 no.
1: I'm going to anchor it. I will, like, there's a couple sitting there. I'll jam it into the couple that are there. So I know it's mine's not going to
0: roll away. I believe that's a moral middle ground that you're in. Like, it's not right, but it's not awful. But if you are the person who leaves your car in the one empty spot, you're a terrible person, and there's no redeeming you. Yeah, I don't feel that strongly about that. I feel like the parking lot is a very large place, which means both that it's too far to return. No, it's because you live in New York City and you don't have to deal with this that much. That's why. I mean, it's because you don't have to deal with it enough because you don't understand that, like, the wind blows the loan cart around and dents your car. Like, it's there are consequences to this action. I am so distracted
1: whenever I am in this situation with a giant parking lot and a giant shopping cart. Like, I'm so caught up in the wonder of that moment. You're right. Like, I... Love being able to park anywhere.
0: You're like, I'm in heaven. What worry do I have about a lone cart rolling around? Right. This is a horn of plenty, this parking lot with plenty of spots and plenty of shopping carts. Just park somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, I feel that the shopping carts should be returned. I believe that finding a shopping cart, self created island, and joining your cart to them is a moral middle ground that should be avoided if possible. But... I also feel that sometimes the parking lot design is so mysterious. Like the shopping cart return is farther away than the store itself, you know? And then it's just like, why did you have to make it so complicated? And it's a very windy parking lot. So in the winter, it just gets freezing. But I would never not return my cart. I mean, I just, I would never do it. It's wrong. So the sort of like medium, like these other four carts are here because that's the thing is just too far away. Is that okay?
1: Should I bring all of them back?
0: I'm not here. I wasn't sent to earth to judge people who use shopping cart islands created by other people, but I would just, I would probably just bring it back, Amy. Okay. All right. I'm going to change my ways. You know, I get it. You don't think it's a big deal, but it's like when you have to do it every day and then you're like, I finally found a spot and then there's like a shopping cart in the spot, then you have to like stop your car, get out, put someone else's cart away. It's annoying. Okay. All right. I was just listening to another podcast. It was like, ask yourself these questions. I was just kind of laughing because I like to goof on nice people. But it was like, ask yourself these questions. Are you doing it out of love? Is it helpful to others? And that I think I'm going to send you that checklist. <laughs> and, and that's and we're going to have to examine your shopping
1: cart. All right. Here's something I want you to examine. Please. Because I wanted to get something on the other side of this. Because I had a feeling we were going to get to the end of this list. i like, Dom, Dom, no, don't do it. Yeah, I,
0: I haven't found a useful
1: metric yet. Yeah. Atul Gawande, who is a surgeon and an author.
0: I love Atul Gawande.
1: So he wrote a book called Better, A Surgeon's Notes on Performance. So it's so good. Heed Atul Gawande. He says, count something. One should be a scientist in this world. It doesn't really matter what you count. You don't need a research grant. The only requirement is that what you count should be interesting to you. What does it mean? Well, I think it's like keep track of how many books you read if that's interesting to you. Keep track of how many steps you do in a day or your Peloton power thing if that's interesting to you and leads you. Like James Clear was saying, like if the Peloton, like you're on a four-week streak, keep it up, makes me get back on the bike and do another Peloton, then that's a useful metric because it's making me want to get the stupid star when I finish or get the little like my wrist when I hit 10,000 steps. If it leads me towards a more active life, which I've set for myself as a kind of goal, then Counting is a good thing.
0: Sure. I mean, I definitely have metrics in our life. We have metrics in our work, right? We know how many people listen to the podcast. Yeah. We know how much money we make. Like we life is made of metrics. I know how many kids I have and I keep track of them. Good, good. That's good. I'm glad about that. I always know how many. So yes, I think in that way there are useful metrics. And sure, there's plenty of useful metrics, right? Like you want to know how you're doing. And I'm big on the idea of like, know the truth, you know, because sometimes I find this when I try to, you know, get back on track a little bit with my eating. I'm like, I had nothing to eat today. I don't know how I gained six pounds. Well, I did have those, you know, I mean, that's why I write down food when I'm trying to get my act together, because, of course, you lie to yourself about everything. And so it's very useful to examine, honestly, what you're actually doing and very easy to be like, I cannot imagine how this happened, because I always blah, 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 blah. So yeah, I think, Being honest is good, but being obsessed with useless metrics is not. We often forget that thing of like it takes 10,000 hours to achieve greatness. And we internalize that as if it's a real thing. Right. As if like 9,500 aren't enough. And then we're like, that's something Malcolm Gladwell said 20 years ago. It may or may not be useful. And it really may or may not be true. And that we tend, I think, as people who read parenting books and try to be better people, sometimes to cling to metrics that we have to stop and be like, is this useful? And I think that's why perfect attendance is interesting. And I think as we try to include more and widen our world, that some of the metrics we're using are excluding other people in ways that we don't understand. I like thinking about metrics, but I'm really like thinking about useless
1: metrics. It makes me think of Micheline Duclaff when we had her on the show a couple of weeks ago and her book is called Hunt Gather Parent. She's a scientist and when she would visit different civilizations around the world, the parents would have many, many fewer interactions with their children per hour than she did. Yes. So she watched a woman and she you know, she was anthropological about it. She counted that this mom talked to her child about three times an hour. Like, you know, put your shoes on, that kind of stuff. And then she tracked her own and realized she was doing 60 times an hour. And she tried to work it back down to three and how hard that was. And I guess, yeah, that's what I'm realizing talking about this, that it isn't three times an hour, good, five, bad. It's by counting, you will move for her, for Michaeline, it was useful for her to move towards not being on top of her kid every second of every day. So if this metric helped her do a hard reset on that, and now maybe she gives her 25, instructions every hour, then it was useful, but it isn't. Yeah, You can't get trapped in like three is good, four is bad, five is start over, you've done a bad
0: job. Yes. And we as a collective humanity mustn't get trapped in like size eight is the right size for women to be. Yes. You know, and perfect attendance is the right way for kids to be good. And here is a metric that is easy for certain people to achieve. So we make it important. And we don't realize like there are a million things that keep people from achieving this metric that don't have to do with whether or not they're valuable people or not. Well said. That's what makes a useless metric. Look at your giant head doesn't mean that you don't have a lot to offer. (laughs) Listen, people, (laughs) I can hold it up straight if I work really hard at it and someone is out there right now knitting me a giant... I hope so. Instead of... What are they doing instead of? Instead of thinking about their baby's head size. Instead of drinking all that water, all those cups of water a day. Amy, we solved it. We solved it. Friends... We have a big metric coming up and it's not useless. It's how many of you have subscribed to our new podcast Toddler Purgatory. We want that metric to be 1 billion people, okay? And it's live, like episodes are out. It's on the planet. Go right now you can listen to the first 3 episodes. They're awesome. You're going to really like Molly and Blair. You might even love them, but that's not my business. And wherever you fall within that metric is fine. Thanks everybody. Go check it out Toddler Purgatory wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll talk to you next week.
3: Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely gonna find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.